With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. Hey, welcome to Latina to Latina, a Bustle podcast. I'm Alicia Menendez, your host and contributing editor at Bustle. My dad called me and he said, I just saw you on CNN. You look devastated. And I was like, I'm, it's just so unfair. And he said, you were great, but you're going to lose your job. And the opposite happened. My career took off. That was Sunny Hostin, one of the co-hosts of The View. A former lawyer and a federal prosecutor, she broke into television as a legal analyst. So how did she do it? Why did she do it? And how does she stand up to the trolls every day? Sunny, you're going to get so much time to talk today, you're not going to know what to do with yourself. I was going to say, I'm always interrupted. On a daily basis. I can't believe I'm going to be I want to you talk. to finish thoughts. I want you to take a thought from the beginning <laughs> to the end. You are now a co-host on The View. Yes. Was this the dream? It wasn't, actually. You know, the I feel like I've had different dreams, and I think it's okay. I've finally given myself permission to be okay with the difference, uh, the different dreams, rather. But my dream was um, always to give voice to people that don't have a voice. And so, you know, law school made so much sense to me. And I loved um, being a federal prosecutor. I, I just, it meant everything to me, and that was always going to be the dream um and then tv happened to me <laughs> so it now ha- i have a new dream to you or you went out and pursued that's it? a great question because people always ask me how did you get on the view you know i um was very happy being a lawyer i got pregnant with my first child and i wanted to be at home with him for a year it was just it's what i wanted to do and um, we moved from washington to New York. And after about six or seven months, I think I drove everyone crazy. Being a stay-at-home mom is the hardest job in the freaking world. And I started going to just um, 
I don't know, little speaking engagements here and there, but they were all legal panels, and it was about work-life balance and, you know, what what we really are looking for as women to be fulfilled. And I spoke at a conference, and someone came up to me, and she said, you should do television. And I had a journalism degree, undergrad, and I said, well, from your lips to God's ears, I'm not going to be plucked from obscurity. And she gave me a card, and her name was Sabrina Thompson, and she was a senior producer at Court TV. And she said... Have you ever done television? Have you ever done anything like this? I was like, no, I haven't. So she asked me, you know, do you have a headshot? I was like, I literally have nothing. I'm a stay-at-home mom who was, a, you know, a federal prosecutor, and I'm, I'm just here trying to find my way. And she led me through the entire process. Within a week or two, I was on air with Jack Ford. And it felt like the most natural thing in the world. I know a lot of people say, you know, being on television makes them crazy. They get so nervous. I felt on TV the same way I felt in the courtroom. When I first walked into a courtroom, I felt at home. When I walked onto the set to talk about the law, I I just, I felt at home. And uh, at the end of that one, it was, I think, like a two-hour um, show, Jack turned to me and said, you know, Sonny, thank you for so, so much for being on, um, but this won't be the last we've heard of you. And that was 10 years ago, almost 11. It's, it's part of what people don't understand about being on television, which is it does take time. So you're, yes. you got a very lucky break at the beginning. But very that lucky. journey from someone who's on TV, unpaid, to do a quick hit mm-hmm. to where you are now, it's a 10-year journey. It, it's been a 10-year journey. And it hasn't been an easy journey either. I mean... Bill O'Reilly saw me on Court TV, and um, I was on Fox News for a year, which a lot of people don't know. I worked with Bill O'Reilly, and I was then seen by CNN, and CNN signed me to my first big deal. And it took me, I guess, then three years maybe to really make money doing it. And I will tell you, it took me at least eight years to make the money I was making when I left my practice. So there's that as well, you know, that people don't understand. They, they think you get paid a lot of money to be on television. And sure, some people do, but I did not for a while. I did it because I really liked it. Although I know about you that you have the same tension about being on TV that mm-hmm. I have about being on TV, mm-hmm. which is, am I doing enough? Yes. Is this actually a public service or is this a vanity project? Yes. You know, I grew up, a lot of people know I grew up in the South Bronx in the projects. Um, teen parents. Teen parents. My my goal was always to contribute to society somehow because I got so many lucky breaks. I mean, I worked hard and I was skipped to grade and um, I was always in the books and I went to high school at 12 and college at 16 and law school on full scholarships. So you know, I've been given so much that I always wanted to give back mm-hmm. to my community in particular. And I will say it was um, really difficult not to go back to practicing law because I always... You also did some of the most legit law. Yes, I did. I mean, <laughs> prosecuting... I was prosecuting child sex offenders. 
you know? And so there's nothing more gratifying than that. I mean, a lot of people burn out doing it, but it just energized me. When you can protect a five-year-old from being continuously molested by their father, you know you've done good work. You know you've changed the world. And I found myself night after night at CNN, like, am I really doing anything? I mean, I'm talking a lot and stuff, but am I really doing anything? And then I started covering the Trayvon Martin trial. That was in many ways a big turning point for you. It was the turning point for sure, because I started becoming, I think, almost a caricature of Soledad O'Brien. Like I started thinking, okay, she's successful. (laughs) Yes. No, no. I did the same thing. That's what you do. And you end up being a lousy impersonation of someone else. Because no one does you as well as you do. But I didn't know that. And I'm like, okay, Soledad is is fierce. And she's a friend of mine now. But I'm like, she's fierce. She knows what she's doing. You know, she's so successful. That's what a television reporter is. That's what an anchor, that's what a shiro looks like. And... I even cut my hair like Soledad. But also, let's let's, let's take a time out to say that makes a lot of sense for a number of reasons. But among those reasons is the fact that there are not a lot of people who look like you and Soledad on TV. Exactly. I'm like a Puerto Rican, African-American, you know, woman. And she is a Latina, a black Latina as well. And so I was like, this is what I need to do to be successful. And then finally, I um, was sent to cover Trayvon's murder or I should say death, because he was, uh, George Zimmerman wasn't found guilty. And I found my voice. It sounds cliche, but I was so shocked at the result, because I had been in the courtroom day in and day out. I was almost embedded with the prosecutors at one point, and I saw the evidence very differently than the jury saw it, and I just expected a guilty verdict. And when it didn't happen, I was outraged. And I sort of took the Soledad hat off, and I put my sunny hat on which was former federal prosecutor who saw an injustice and I like went off (laughs) this is ridiculous Um, and my dad called me and he said I just saw you on CNN you look devastated and I was like I'm it's just so unfair and he said you were great but you're gonna lose your job like it's over for you and just be prepared for that and the opposite happened like my career took off and it's because I, it was the first time I had been authentic on television, I think. Truly I hear, authentic. I hear so much about authenticity, and I am striving to get to where you are. And I think part of what we don't talk about is that for women, mm-hmm. for people of color, mm-hmm. um, it is so hard to earn credibility Yes, that you know it is risk and loss in a moment. And that's what your dad was responding to because that's yes. what your dad knew. And, yes. and your dad wants to make sure you're able to pay your bills. <laughs> exactly. And so whenever I'm told be authentic, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the other person knows, okay, but that's a gamble now that I'm taking. It's a gamble. And, you know, I think people of color understand that you wear two, you have two faces, like there's a mask and then there's your face. And so the mask is perhaps the Soledad mask. You know, this is what's successful. This is what people have accepted. This is what I'm going to do to make it. And when you take that mask off and you show people your face, oftentimes it's a voice that hasn't been heard. It's a voice that's been suppressed. It's a voice people don't want to hear sometimes, more often than not. And if it isn't embraced by someone, you can lose credibility. You can lose your job. Um, You know, it was difficult for me. But I am so happy 
that my voice was embraced the way it was. I watch you do something very interesting on The View now, mm-hmm. which is I find you constantly have to situate yourself for viewers by reminding people sometimes that you're black. Yes. And sometimes by reminding people that you are Latina. Yes. Because people look at you. How do most people process you in the world? Different ways. And that's been sort of my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been embraced by the black community and then I've been considered not black enough. I've been embraced by the Latino community, and then sometimes I'm not Latina enough. Did you ever think about dropping Sunny and going by your given name? I went by my given name at Can first. Can you just tell everybody? My given, given name is Asuncion. Asuncion Providencia, actually. Because there, it's, hard, it's hard to debate the Latin merits. When your name is Asuncion, and my family, they still call me that. My husband does as well. But, you know, um, that's what I started with. And Nancy Grace, it was on my Chiron, and Nancy says at the break, can I say something to you? I said, yes. Asuncion, whatever your name is. <laughs> No one can remember it. They can't pronounce it. It's it's hard. And I was like, she said, what do other people, this is a true story, what do other people call you? And I said, well, in college, some people call me Sunny. But, like, literally, she's like, perfect. Change your Chiron. And I became Sunny Hostin that day. Thanks, Nancy. You okay with that? <laughs> you know, my grandmother was always so irritated about it. She passed away recently. My mother doesn't love it. Um, but if it makes me more accessible to people, I'm cool with that. And I think people that know me now know that my real name is Asuncion, that Spanish is my first language, um, and that I'm fluent, and that um, I love being Puerto Rican and African American. And there are people, though, it's so interesting, that have problem with it. I, I got a tweet recently that said, you know, when Sunny has a Spanish guest or a, a topic about uh, Latino issues, she speaks Latina. And when black people come on, she speaks black, which I don't know what speaking Latina is, actually. And um, you probably you know, said their name correctly. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the Twitter guy says something like um, she's confusing all of us and she's a freak. I generally don't respond to stuff like that. But I responded, you know, I'm half black and half Puerto Rican. Should I somehow leave behind half of my culture and half of my heritage to make you more comfortable? And it's a space that I think a lot of biracial people live in because it's gray. You know, you're not black, you're not white, you're gray. And people need to fit you in a box. And I refuse to do that. You know, I mean, denying that I'm Latina means what, I don't have a mother? In Puerto Rico, that's the same because you take your mother's last name as well. And if you don't have your mother's last name in your name, they say, what, you don't have a mother? And, and, and that's how I've always felt. If I'm not black and if I don't say I'm black, then what, I don't have a father? So that has been an interesting challenge in my career because uh, I know when I was first auditioning for The View, they sort of felt like, well, are you black or are you Latina? I said, I'm both. Um, okay, well, the viewers may not understand that. And I'm like, I'm going to make them understand that. And I think people get it now. Yeah, it's it's the benefit of sitting at that table day after day. Yeah, people and processing get it now. Things. And especially because so much of what we're talking about right now is immigration. Yes, um, yes. And I think it's critical that there is a Latina at the table, yes. even though this is an issue that expands beyond our community into a number of communities, including the fact that there are black immigrants, yes. which is something we often don't talk about. But it's important. 
what what's your take on this moment that we're in? Hmm. You know, I think what is happening is very un-American. And I feel that to my core. My grandmother came from Puerto Rico, and of course Puerto Rico is a part of the United States. But um, I, I find it so un-American when people say we need to not accept people from certain nations, make America great again, since I thought America was has always been sort of this bastion of hope for people and has always been great. I feel like if people know the history of the country, if they really understand the history of the country, they understand how important immigration reform is, rather than what we're seeing, this weird nativism where people are like closing their doors and, you know, wrapping themselves in the flag and at the same time saying things that are very un-American, which is, you know, keep those people out. That's not what America looks like. In some ways, it's most distilled by the Dreamers or DACA recipients because they have lived here most of their lives. That's what they know. One of my producers, they came with me to do the Puerto Rico special that I did for The View. You know, we were talking and and he was almost in tears. He was like, you know, I want to tell you I'm a DACA recipient and I don't know if I'll be able to come back with you for the the follow-up special. I was like, are you kidding me? You've, and he works for ABC News. He said he's been in the United States since he was like six months old, and they wanted to send him to Mexico. I mean, he doesn't know that country. This is his country. And I hope that people reach out and either you know, watch our show or, or try to meet with people that are DACA recipients so that they realize that this could happen to anyone, that these are really Americans. You know, sometimes you don't have empathy unless you really know someone that's going through it. And I know so many people that are going through it. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads. What did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. At 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. 
Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&Ms? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&Ms candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&Ms for all fun kind. How do you manage to have an opinion every day? It's the hard. It's, I, I've done it's that hard. show four, maybe five times. Yeah, and it, you you all make it look easy, but it is not as easy as you make it. It's look. not right. <laughs> it's not, and people think, oh, you're on a one hour show. I mean. The night before. I mean, listen, there are people who are doing like hard manual labor. Yes. And like, yes. I'm, I'm sure as an attorney that those were yeah. long days. But but there's the actual nature of the work is challenging. It's challenging. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, you were just on a one hour show. It's not really true. And you've done the show. I mean, we get like 60 hot topics the night before and we have to read it and be well versed in it. And by the time we get there in the morning, I usually get there around eight. There are new topics on the list, and then I've got to get read in on that. And then what I try to do is have a moment for every topic. Give voice to someone for every single issue from my perspective. So if we're talking about raising children, I give my perspective on that. If we're talking about relationships, I give my perspective on that. And I give my perspective on politics, of course, because our show is really political this season. And it has to be. You have had a pretty incredible life. I mean, you were, as I'm a child, ex- but, you, and, but also a lot of heartache. I mean, you were exposed mm-hmm. to to a lot very young. Yeah. Even just the reality of growing up poor mm-hmm. is not a reality that all people are familiar with. And no. then to operate in the elite spaces mm. that you have operated in, whether that's going to Notre Dame for law school or whether or that's being on the, or the Justice Department. <laughs> um, I mean, how did you learn how to maneuver? You know, um, it's still a challenge for me, honestly. <laughs> I'm still I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I, I'm very lucky in that we didn't grow up with a lot, but my mom ended up going back to college, uh, oh, going to college. She had me, she had to drop out of high school. She went to college, um, got a master's degree, became a teacher. My dad went to a technical school, became a supervisor um, with a big IT company, and they poured everything into me. They, they truly did. But m- m- most important, it was be humble, be kind, be focused, be loyal, be a good person, be a person of faith. And so when you have that sort of framework. brick and mortar, yeah. yeah, that framework, I think you navigate pretty well. But I oftentimes just don't know what the rules are. And I think that's what happens with women, with people of color. Like like you said, like I show up, you know, this kid from the Bronx who worked really hard to get where I am. And I'm with all these legacies. You know, their parents worked at the Justice Department. Their parents are politicians. And I just I didn't know what the rules were. And sometimes they've been really hard lessons. I certainly have um, made mistakes at CNN probably made mistakes at ABC but I'm learning the rules it's it's a learning process the tough skin part of that is mm-hmm. is the fact that now we live in a constant feedback loop yes and the, it comes into I mean there's the obvious way which is now via Twitter 
Mm-hmm. We, we all just have, and you don't know who it is that's yelling at you about your fat arms or your yeah. stupid opinion. The Twitter thugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then there's the reality I don't think most people know, which is that when you were on Air Talent talking about you and your look and you're this and yeah. you're that and everybody has an opinion. I, mean, I, mm-hmm. I once had a meeting at CNN where I walked into one executive and they were like, the hair, got to cut the hair. You look again. Then I go into the next meeting, I've cut my hair and the person's like, oh God, what happened to your hair? Yes, I've had those meetings. It makes you Looney Tunes, first of all, if you let it, right? Because yes. you're like, I, wait, wait, and that's why at some point you have to decide, I am me. Yeah. So did you develop the tough skin? I've always had it. I think you, you tend to have it when you see your, you know, you're seven years old and you see your uncle stabbed in right. front of you, which happened to me. And, you know, your best friend's father gets shot in front of the candy store on the corner and you're right there. So I've had tough skin my whole life. But... It still hurts when people don't see your value. I have found it very painful. And I've had those same discussions, Alicia. Like, you know, my hair's naturally curly. They're like, doesn't work for television. But but I'm working on television and my hair's naturally curly. I mean, it's just all these really crazy things um, in terms of, you know, you need to wear dresses. I like pants. It's been really challenging, especially when people talk about what you look like as opposed to the words that are coming out of your mouth. What's left? What do you want still that you don't have? I know. Um, everybody keeps on asking me, what's your five-year plan? You know, I don't know. I, I just, I want my children to be happy and healthy. You know, I'm happily married. I want the best for our family. But I, I've been so blessed with all these opportunities. I I'm like really looking forward to the future. I don't know what that even looks like. Um, That might look like freedom. Yeah. Would you hear, you and I share a lot of things, Mm -hmm. I think. I hope you find that to be a compliment. I agree. So I didn't end up going to law school, but I took the LSAT. I thought about going to law school. Um, And I always wanted to run for office. And so much of- You have to. So much of what I hear you talk (laughs) about points in that direction too. If your entire ethos as a person is giving voice to the voiceless, I still don't know that there's any more nobler way to do that. I think it's something that I will do. I haven't taken it off the table. You know, I've spoken to a lot of folks that have run for office and have held office and they've encouraged me. So I I can't imagine that's not something that I will do, actually. They're like, like breaking news. <laughs> Sunny Hostin for president. Heard it here first. It's, it's something that, I, that I've really thought about. Okay, but I don't want to see you doing a bad impersonation of Kamala Harris when you do it, okay? <laughs> I like, know. I want to see you doing she you. She is so badass. I love her. I've met her several times, and I adore her. Yeah. I think she's great. I mean, and I think with the reckoning that's going on, we are going to see so many women in leadership positions. I think... That is going to be the story going forward five to ten years, you know. I mean, we will have a female president, no question about it. But we're also going to have women in leadership positions like we've never seen before in government. I'm convinced of it. I have one last question because of the way you just said no. (laughs) I know. My accent comes out. Oh, no. I mean, like, two glasses of wine. <laughs> if my mom is in the room, too, then, like, I'm talking like this. Like, it's very, it's for me, it's a yes. Jersey accent. It's different. Uh, did you, have you worked on that? Yes. Uh, yes. I mean. So what do you sound like if you just, like, like before? If I, if I leave it? <laughs> um, you know, Spanish is my first language. And I actually learned English probably around four or five. And I've been speaking and reading since I was, you know, very, very young. 
but I did work on it and I was asked to work on it. Yes. Um, someone at CNN um, felt that I, you know, was pretty heavily accented. In terms of and I probably being was. a Spanish speaker or in terms of being from the Bronx? Oh, Spanish speaker, for sure. Yeah. It's hard I, for me to imagine because what I, I hear know. now is like a tiny bit of the Bronx. Of the Bronx, yeah. But I don't hear, like yeah. you don't have trouble with like, shh. Yeah. Oh, no, I know, right? <laughs> I know. I have. I, Do you want to sit in my share? I, have, I, I was going to say, I have friends that have a lot of trouble with that. I worked on it also in law school because I was on the national trial team. And um, oftentimes back then I would think in Spanish first and have to translate it. And I think a lot of bilingual people do have that challenge. Um, but I did. I worked on it. And I, I worked on the Bronx, too. Um, because, And I worked on that part when I was uh, prosecuting cases in Washington, D.C., because that's a very southern sort of area. They have their own thing going. And it was um, difficult for them to understand me, apparently, when I was giving my opening statement. I need to find raw footage of this. Like, I actually can't imagine yeah. it. I've worked hard on it. I went to a speech class as well. Just I mean, it's, it's one of those things, right? When you want to fit in. Be understood. Be understood. You do that work. But then there are plenty of people like an, um, Anna Navarro. Who has a Spanish accent and she's done awesome. incredibly well. Yeah. So I, I think the bottom line is today I will say I don't know that I would have felt the need to take the speech classes or to, you know, sanitize the way that I speak. Now it's it's how I speak. But uh, I think we're in a really different world. I think now it's you do you and if they don't get it, then the problem is theirs. Those are great parting words. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No <laughs> That's it for now, but we want to hear from you. Email us at Latina to Latina at bustle.com. Send us ideas for awesome guests or whatever it is you're thinking about right now. Remember to subscribe to Latina to Latina on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. We love hearing from you. Latina to Latina is produced by Lentigua Williams & Co., mixed by Oluwakemi Aladesui with assistance from Anna Parsons. Our executive editor is Emily Ann Epstein. Our editorial supervisor is Roseanne Salvatore. And we got to give a special thank you to Jenny Hollander. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.